This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Was the 1980s the best decade for junk food and healthy living? Put down that devil dog and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Ray. How's your day going over there? It's going about the same as every other day. Uh, They're blending together. Yeah, so they're all just day. Day, yes, day. You know what? Yeah, yeah. whatever. (laughs) Look, before we started, I said, we're going to have fun. And already I'm starting to get bummed out now. I was just thinking about how, you know, I think it was Thursday or Friday. I I, I thought, hey, usually I feel like, wow, I'm so glad it's Friday, you know, because here's the weekend. Mm-hmm. And now I just felt like, no, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I don't know. How are how's your, how was your day today? Pretty good. Yeah. Sat in the house, watched it rain out the window. <laughs> you sound like you're a lot older than you are. You know, like, like you retired and you're in your 80s. Well, I imagine this is what it's going to feel like when I'm retired. Staring out a window. You walk from the front of the house, looking out the window, to the back of the house, looking out the window, and that's what you do all day. Yeah. Hey, today we're going to talk about some of the junk food and and foods that we love to eat in the 1980s. Uh, And then a little bit later, we're going to be speaking with one of the stars of Just One of the Guys, which... As of today, when we're recording this, it was released 35 years ago. We'll be speaking with Tony Hudson, who starred in that film, because in addition to having appeared in a number of our favorite TV shows from the 1980s, including T.J. Hooker, Greatest American Hero, Knight Rider, Love Boat, A-Team, even before she was ever in Just One of the Guys, she has also been living a particular healthy lifestyle that she began in the 80s, which is, you know, important if you want to maintain... uh, Health and live, especially in these times. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to you. Anybody who listens to this show once knows you, you're going to survive a Holocaust, nuclear Holocaust. You'll be fine. That's right. But for the rest of us. All right. So, but before we do any of that, let's get caught up on 80s news. So I am very excited for our friends, the creators of the documentary, In Search of Tomorrow. If you didn't hear our last episode, we spoke with David Weiner and Robin Block, the director and producer of an upcoming 80s sci-fi film documentary. They just kicked off their Kickstarter, which we talked about on the episode. It looks like, according to the, the, the page, which you can get to from if you go to 80sscifidoc.com, According to this, their goal was 39000 around $40,000, and they've already got in pledges $158,000. That's just a few days. That's amazing. Right? Speaking of Kickstarters, uh, and hey, look, if you got any extra cash, visit our friends at 80sscifidoc.com. But as this is just 80s news, and if you're looking to get this product, that, that's just is pretty cool. Just another proof, uh, you know, the endurance of the 1980s. There's another Kickstarter that I came became uh, came across. It's a Kickstarter where they're looking for enough funds, and these guys are doing also very well. They are looking to build a, a cooperative adventure board game based on the movie They Live. It's called They Live Assault on Cable 54. And if you know, if you've seen the film, and if, hey, if you listen to our show, you're, I'm sure you know what it is. You know what Assault on Cable 54 refers to. 
Um, and so the, the game, as it's described, is it says it's an action-packed board game that lets you explore the sprawling city of L.A. to build a stash of weapons, allies, and items as you progress towards your ultimate goal, the assault on Cable 54, and the defeat of our unearthly invaders. They are the ones who control the signal, and it's your mission to take them down. I think this is something that you and I would be uh, keen on playing. Yeah, this sounds like it'll be a fun game. I'm looking at it right now on yep. the old Kickstarter thing, and uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, and if you scroll down, you see some of the cool things that uh, you, you come with the game, including the uh, you know different game pieces and, and dice, etc. One of the coolest features is you get special glasses that allow you to see things on the game board and cards, etc. That you can't, you couldn't otherwise see, including you know uh, um, the the true identity of some of the players you're playing against, whether they're they or they're who they. They say they are. <laughs> oh, okay. Whatever. Uh, that's fun. I'm having fun now. <laughs> yeah, have fun. <laughs> I just realized, so you know, the uh, in, in our culture today, and I'm very aware of, of, the, of this, because you and I stay on top of these things, there's a move towards um, gender-neutral terms, uh, including the use of the, 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 the pronoun. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> I insist you having fun. I'm just yeah, realizing. That's fun. That that's the, fun. <laughs> Well, the pronoun that some folks will have you use because they want to specifically identify with one gender or another is them or they. So now they mean something else. But I mean, to our generation, they means this aliens attacking the, I don't know. I, I don't, it's also like a popular phrase, like, you know, you know what they say. Oh, you know, I wonder if Carpenter did it for that reason, because in, in that, that reality, they is, <laughs> they is the one. <laughs> they they that, is they. <laughs> Right? So if you say, yeah, you know what they say. Yes, it's the alien overlords looking like humans, though. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. Okay. So, hey, in other 80s news, I want to play a clip for you. Now, this is a clip uh, of an appearance from uh, a recent um, singer who was on the TV show The Masked Singer. Do you watch that show? I I I do not. Yeah, I don't either. I'm hoping you didn't hear what this is. But so this singer was recently on The Masked Singer and was just unmasked. Uh, so we know who the identity of the singer is, and folks were said that they could tell who it was long before the unmasking because they said the voice is very distinct. I want to see what, who you think this might be. So this is uh, someone on the masked singer. Everybody raise your hands. Come on. Come on. I, I don't know why, but I want to mm-hmm. say it's Cooter. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's the one thing I don't know about the, this show, because I've never watched it. But it, So I don't know if the, the celebrity judges are in on it at all, because it's got be, to be problematic, right? When they either guess someone too big, they're like, oh, it's got to be Taylor Swift. And it turns out it's Sarah Palin, which is a true thing. Sarah Palin was yeah. one of the people. Or the opposite way. Someone's like, it's Cooter, and it was really our, the, the actual contestant who was Brett Michaels. That does not sound like Brett at all. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I, I thought if anybody would recognize Brett without seeing him, you would. But for me, I, I you know, I thought it, I don't know. It's, it's, it sounded like him after, only after I knew it, I guess. Well, yeah, he's from Pittsburgh, so I don't know what the heck he's doing with that twangy accent in that song. <laughs> he does sound kind of Southern, so I could see why he went... Uh, down a Dixie with a cooter there. So uh, Vanity Fair, <laughs> the story uh, as, as told in Vanity Fair points out the fact that, uh, so when he had his, uh, when he sang the song and was ultimately unmasked, it was 10 years ago that he was, he was hospitalized with a brain hemorrhage that left him near death, if you remember that. 
this could be one of your rock and roll stories maybe in the future if we were doing a show about a different decade. But um, uh, uh, this uh, just Wednesday, the last Wednesday, in a twist that even Michaels didn't anticipate, he marked the unfortunate anniversary by singing Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door. Hmm. I would have went with a story about his um, his bus of love. What? That was a great show. Oh, what? Wait, oh, it, 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 it was kind of like The Bachelor, except it was him with a bunch of women, yep. and they were just riding around on a bus, and they'd pick up more women on the way. Just uh-huh. random women. And really? on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a show? <laughs> yeah, that was it, a show? It, it was originally called, I think, Rock of Love, oh. and then they oh. changed it to Bus of Love or something like okay. that. Okay, yes. But he was the star of that, and there's some good stories from the behind the scenes on that one, too. I remember when it was called Rock of Love, he was supposedly looking for a, a real mate yeah. for life. Yeah, <laughs> he was looking for love. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what does it say that it became a show about traveling on a bus instead? I'd like to see the contemporary version of that, where you can only let on a few people at a time, and they've got to sit a different rows, six feet apart. <laughs> uh, they got to take your temperature before you get on the bus. Uh, quarantine of love. Yeah. <laughs> So in other 80s news, and this story comes from The Hollywood Reporter, did you know or did you ever consider or realize that there was an, a plot hole in Back to the Future? Did this trouble you at some point? Have you heard this one? I, I did. I just read this the other day, and I thought it was kind of weird because it never dawned on me to even bother with a plot hole in Back to the Future. Yeah. So uh, on, on social media, there was this... Uh, social media trend going around five perfect movies and folks were chiming in with what they thought were perfect films and back to the future as a coincidence i learned this i think in anticipation of speaking with chris soth that professors of screenwriting use back to the future as some of them do in 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 some of their classes as an example of the perfect script and james gunn agrees because he chimed in on social media with you know this uh, trend about the five perfect movies saying that back to the future was one and he wrote Back to the Future seemingly could be imperfect, and he's in, in parentheses, he says, why don't mom and dad remember Marty? But I still could argue it's a perfect film because there's reasons why this could conceivably be the case. Time protects itself from unraveling, etc. Or maybe I'm in denial. Who knows? So that's the issue. Well, I, I did like the explanation that they gave, yep. which, which was, um, well, they only knew him for such a short time. Yep. So their memory of what he actually looked like would probably be fuzzy from you know, 30 years ago or however long it was by the time Marty was actually mm-hmm. big enough to actually look like himself. Yep, yep. Bob Gale, the screenwriter, said exactly that. Uh, he said, quote, bear in mind that George and Lorraine only knew Marty slash Calvin for eight days when they were 17 and they didn't even see him every one of those days. So many years later, they still might remember that interesting kid who got them together on their first date, end quote. But he wouldn't necessarily know or they wouldn't necessarily recall what he looked like. And he asks people to look or to think back on anyone they knew in high school, you know, for a brief period of time. And imagine if they could actually picture what they look like without a photo reference. I I know I can do it. Yeah. Someone you only knew for eight days in high school on top of it. There's friends of mine on Facebook that I'm high school was friends with in high school, and I'm not sure who they are, and I see their picture. There's people that I run into at the gas station who recognize yep. me from high school, and I have no idea who they are. Yeah, so I, I'm buying it. I, that's never troubled me. I'd always, I think, when I was a kid, even seeing it, that that's automatically what I thought was, well, of course, you know, for us, it's instantaneous. He sees them, you know, but they've lived their whole life without seeing Calvin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so hey. That was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. So later on today, we're going to be speaking with one of the stars of Just One of the Guys, Ms. Tony Hudson, about 
her healthy lifestyle, which she has written about in a book that uh, just came out a short time ago, How I Found Myself with Correct Living. Now, correct, I, you know what? I'll have to ask her about this, right? Correct is not spelled correctly. It's actually spelled phonetically in the title of her book, K-E-R-E-K-T. But you, you'll be able to find it if you do that uh, on Amazon and so forth. Um, but now we're going to be talking about some of the terrible and but wonderful, really, truly wonderful foods that we ate during our youths, maybe first discovered in the 1980s, many of which survive today and some that were only around in that decade. Yeah, that's going to be fun. So, hey, when we were, we've talked about this before, but obviously by the fact that we have to now hunker down and hunker down? Hunker down's a word. Okay, hunker down in our bunkers, you know, and having different food on hand, you know, just in case you can't make it to the store, you don't want to go as often as possible. And we talked about how I've taken the opportunity to stock up on some things I would normally only eat as a child. And you commented, you're still eating those things. Yeah, they're good. Right. Oh, by the way, and what we were talking about then was Chef Boyardee ravioli and i did break open a can the other day from my stash and it was amazing yeah it is told you it was it transported me i mean it's it tastes exactly like it tasted 30 years ago and that guy is a real chef that's no lie yeah his name wasn't you're right his name wasn't boyardee which explains to me a lot because i thought boyardee never sounded like an italian name to me especially the way it's spelled <laughs> but i think he's from cleveland too everyone's from ohio well there you go so that that wouldn't surprise you all right so hey his actual name is etor boyardi oh it's just spelled different is it i at the end i'm guessing it's b-o-i-a-r-d-i so they spelled it phonetically then all right so it really was yeah they changed it so the um, stupid americans could pronounce it cool he's from parma yeah oh he's, he's from born born in italy lived in parma yeah see, hey i remembered something and he's buried here all right we're gonna have to go and uh you know uh, pour one out for our homies. <laughs> pour some rigatoni on him. <laughs> <laughs> one for my homies. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Okay, so hey, some of my memory was prompted by something I found on SoYummy.com called 1980s Snacks We're Not Sure People Would Eat Today by Karen Bells uh, from June of 2019. Karen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'd still eat them today. The ones that we're going to mention, there's probably other ones on there that are terrible, but... Okay, so hey, let's talk about some of the foods we did eat that were, you know, during these times that were more like snack foods and less like stuff that our parents would expect us to eat. Do you remember Hostess Pudding Pies? Yes, those are delicious. Oh, why don't we have these anymore? I don't, well, I have no idea. We probably just didn't eat enough of them to keep them in business, I guess. But uh, yeah, my grandfather worked for a bakery. And we would go there and eat zingers and oh, and all that stuff. I love zingers. So, yeah, all those cool products like that and the pies and everything were there. So, and you say it works for a bakery. So you're talking like legit versions of these, not like a, the hostess version. I don't think it was hostess, but the zingers were there. So, Oh, so the real brand name of zingers. Yeah, zingers were there. But I was so young. All I remember is we go to, we would actually go there. Yep. And they would just give us stuff when we went to see them. Wow. So we would just walk in and they'd be like, here you go, kids. Here's a bunch of zingers. Here's a bunch of these right. things. Here's some pies. And we'd walk out of there with armfuls of crap. Right. Right. Maybe that could be why they're not around. <laughs> <laughs> you put them out of business. Yeah, zingers was a hostess product. And that's so cool for lots of reasons, including the fact that, I mean, that's awesome for your childhood. But also I had a similar experience because my uncle worked for Drake's Cakes. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if Drake's, I don't think Drake's was out here. It was an East Coast company. I think, you know, it was sort of doing what Hostess did everywhere else, but, um, and, and maybe Drake's was available every uh, other other places, but Drake's were the makers of Devil Dogs. That's, that's one of the big ones. Ring Dings, Yodels. And so every now and then, my uncle, 
would come home, come home, you know, or, or come by our house and say, here, I picked up these four boxes of devil dogs or ringdings <laughs> or whatever, you know, these sunny doodles, I think was also Drake's. Oh my goodness. As a kid, I couldn't even understand. It was like he worked for Willy Wonka. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Doesn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It was just like magic. Like, how do you have access to this? Oh, look, they, they all hostess and Drake's made so many different things. I ate as, as a kid, but hostess pudding pies, I bring up because that was so unique. I loved pudding. You stuck it in a <laughs> cake that I liked already. Yeah. <laughs> I would have eaten it anyway, but two yet basically had two desserts in one. Yeah, pudding was huge in the 80s. I would wish they would bring those back. Well, you're going to have to start your own company then and just start making them. You know, now, now you're making me wonder if there's a way I can inject pudding into anything else I eat. I just need to make some pudding and get like a baster. Turkey? Um, <laughs> there's room in a turkey. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Turducken probably could have pudding added to All it. Right, we're headed in the wrong direction. I'm thinking making some cupcakes, cover them in frosting, and inject oh. it with uh, pudding. Okay, all right. So you got a food there? Yeah, where do you fall on the spectrum with steakums? Oh my god, I loved steakums. <laughs> I think I, at one point I ate those for like eight months straight. Well, you're right. When they were popular, well, I said my mom like had food in rotation. That was one of the five like foods we would have. Like a Friday night would be like steakums. It was. I know you're going to say, "What do you think? I'm some kind of animal." Did you cook the steakum, or were you just? Eat? I could picture a young Ray popping out a frozen steakum and eating it like a, you know, like a push-up. <laughs> no, see, because it was the '80s, we were allowed to use the stove. Uh, yes, so yes. we would just <laughs> throw it on a pan and just cook it right on the stove as oh, yeah. kids. I mean, mm-hmm. it's delicious. Yeah. Us too. Yeah, yeah. Man, I might go get some of those this coming week. Man, those are good. And now I'm craving beef, even though it's you know nearly 11 p.m. here. I had that conversation with my daughter just a few days ago about when I was your age, you know, I used a stove and it had fire, you know, <laughs> yeah. things we don't have in our house now. And we're pushing her to be more independent, especially in these uh, days of the uh, you know pending apocalypse here. Yeah. Uh, one thing you can help her to understand is, is yeah. we did this in the eighties as kids. Yeah. You take a fork uh-huh. and you stick it in a hot dog. Yeah. Turn the stove on and just cook it right oh, on the yeah. fire. <laughs> yes. We did that all the time as kids. Yeah. Do you, I don't remember, is your house, uh, you, I mean, your your house now, do you have a, a gas stove? We do have gas. Oh, yeah. you do? Okay. So, oh. yeah. So, your kids so know you, what fire you? looks like. No, we have uh, electric. You have an electric? Well, we'll, we'll fix that. <laughs> You're just going to set it on fire. I don't know that my daughter's <laughs> ever seen fire, now that I think about it. When I was a kid, see, again, this is not going to surprise you. When I was a kid, I was always worried about the pilot light going out. Like, what would we do? If that pilot light goes out in the night, we're going to die. We're going to breathe gas and die. <laughs> I never gave it a second thought. And it is a little odd, right? I mean, this thing is just pumping gas constantly into your home. <laughs> the only thing keeping you from dying is there's a fire. <laughs> the fire is the thing that's keeping you alive. Uh, that's great. Oh, my God. I imagine they still work like that today. Huh? If you'd like to be more scared, your furnace is the same thing. Well, yes, that's true. No. So you could you should probably check that before you go to bed because well, <laughs> you, you don't want to die in your sleep. I am aware of how that works. I lied to my daughter about that recently, though, <laughs> because a few years ago at school they had like a fl- – actually, this was many years ago. Now I think about it. She was like in kindergarten, I think. They had a fire drill. Well, I don't know if it was a fire mm-hmm. drill. No, they had they had a real fire emergency. The fire alarms went off, everything. It turned out like one of the teachers had, you know – burned a pizza bagel or something in a toaster oven or something like that. <sighs> and um, so it was it was easily remedied. Uh, but, you know, the rigmarole involved really traumatized her. So when she came home, you know, they had all this fire safety then, and a fireman came and taught them about things. She came home and said, you know, we have to worry about the pilot light and all these things and fire. 
I had to assure her we had none of the, none of that in the house, ignoring the fact that our furnace. You know. Yeah, of course you did, because that's how you handle things. Yeah, of course. Do you remember Dixie's snack crackers? Mm. I really don't want to stump you. All right, I'm, let, me, let me tell you, there, it's, a, it's a cracker. Is that uh, the buttery cracker? No, it was a cracker made by Nabisco, shaped like a chicken leg, and it tasted like fried chicken. I don't remember those. Oh, they were so amazing. Man, that sounds good. Again, if they had these still, uh, I, I don't know how you, mar- I don't remember how they marketed them or to whom they were marketing them, but my fa- my mom got them one day or my dad. That's all, like to your steakums. We had those for them for weeks. We just wanted to have the <laughs> Dixie snack crackers. Now, there are, there are two foods I can think of yeah. that you're supposed to cook, uh-huh. but in the 80s, we didn't even bother to cook them. Gosh. I have no idea what that could be. Ramen. Ramen. Wait, Ramen's the first one. What do you mean? You didn't put it in hot water? You don't have to. You could eat it raw. You ate the brick of noodles? You, you could, yeah. You could. Yeah. And, you could also the uh the cinnamon flavored oatmeal. Cinnamon flavor okay, yes. All right. You yeah, could actually that's... just eat the pack you could open it, put the the <laughs> cinnamon flavor into the package, shake it up, and just eat it. Man, when you said you were in a hurry to get back outside and play, I didn't think you were <laughs> just uh, you know funneling uh, oats, dried uh, oats. The, that was actually that I would take to high school. Oh, okay. Back oh, in the eighties, so you couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't do it then. Right, I was in a hurry. You know, you, yeah. because when you had to get to high school, because you yeah. were driving at that point, yeah, you didn't have that extra four minutes to make anything. Yeah, you were like, I gotta go. I'm late as it is. So I was like, oatmeal into the backpack i'll eat it in uh science class good to go you know this whole exercise about talking about the diets and the food real it makes me realize you know, in spite of what you know some of the recollections i have as a childhood the challenges my mom was really holding it down somehow i need to go and you know thank her because among the list of things she got done every day was somehow she was making me lunch wow. to take to high school now that's problematic for a whole other reason <laughs> Because I didn't want to show up with a brown bag lunch at high school, yeah. And so instead, I sh- I wound up stuffing them in my uh, in a drawer in my in my dresser drawer at at home. <laughs> nice. And I would just like you know scrape feel like you know some change together over the week to like buy stuff you know you know mm-hmm. a piece slice of pizza or whatever. And I would forget about the lunches in the drawer until the smell, uh. and then you know that. So no, I never had a, a chug a thing of dry oats or. Um, <laughs> Or uh, I I have tasted a block of ramen noodles. I think it was just to see if I could like bite off a you know a part of it. And it's very salty. Did you make it through it? <laughs> I, no, I didn't. I couldn't eat the whole thing though. <laughs> I did try dog biscuits after uh, what was it? Lethal Weapon Two when um, oh yeah oh yeah I've tried dog biscuits for sure. Those were also salty. I think I remember and kind of hard I, to bite through. I think. I, well, I still had good teeth back then. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> And it was probably good for my teeth, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you had no plaque and your jaw strength yeah. was fantastic, amazing. Fantastic. Do you remember, um, this is another thing that my family just, you know, went crazy on for a short time, Keebler's Tato Skins. Oh, potato skins in general yep. in the 80s were huge. Yes. Yeah, and they, I think they had frozen ones you could microwave or something like that, or stick in the oven, but they also had these, Keebler tried to tr- just take advantage of that whole, you know, it being so popular. And in 1985, they came out with a potato chip that was like a, like a potato skin. It was a two-sided potato chip. You know, one was like the potato. I don't know if it was real. It was probably not real. I don't think it was real. It was probably fake, 
you know, something to make. They probably made one side of the potato chip brown. Is what it was. <laughs> but we loved those things. We ate those, and we ate those with our our chicken uh, our chicken leg our drumstick shaped uh, Dixie crackers. <laughs> That's awesome. Now another big one that I remember in high school yep. is uh, Kraft mac and cheese. Oh yeah. When and for all the younger fans out there, you had to boil water on the stove to make this. <laughs> So yes. this one, I think we started making in high school ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, you take a a box of it, yes. you boil the water, you get the noodles in there, right? You cook it all up, and then you throw a whole stick of butter in this thing. Yep. And that's how it was made. A whole stick. The whole stick went in. Boom. Wow. Do you, you still make it that way? Uh, if I do make it, yeah. That that's how it's made. What does that taste like? That's decadent. it's amazing. It's amazing. And there's the uh, the milk. Yep. Never put it in. Ah. Only butter. Yes. I, I do know you're right. I did learn early on, you got to put just a, I put milk, but not what they say. If you do what they say, it's too watery. It, it's too watery, yeah. and uh, it doesn't Gee. taste good. So if you if everybody wants to try this, um, yeah, you put a whole stick of butter and no milk. Right. And then salt and pepper the crap out of it, and you're good to go at 2.30 in the morning. All right, what else is on our list here? Um, I'm trying to think of ones that you might know because I know that you know some stuff might have been, I don't know, maybe it was just specific to where we were. Do you remember toaster strudel? That was like a fancy Pop-Tart. Yeah, toaster strudels were, were great back in the day. Yeah. Because you got that icing you got to put on yourself. Yes. That was the best. That was another thing we got to do as independent young children, ice up our own toaster strudel. Yeah, my, my kids would just throw that at me and go, I don't know what this does. <laughs> it's Yeah, I can't get the stuff out of it, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Or you could just, you know, grab a, a packet of oatmeal and, and uh, dry oatmeal mm-hmm. and grab the frosting, take those to high school. Oh, yeah. Chug the oatmeal and just slurp <laughs> yeah. down that whole frosting packet. <laughs> oh, it'd be like eating a Cinnabon or something. Oh, that would have been amazing. I'm making a Cinnabon in my mouth. <laughs> Although I guess we didn't have Cinnabon. I don't know. Another cool thing about the 80s was ranch dressing. Everybody just all of a sudden decided ranch dressing was the greatest dressing on the planet. You dipped everything in it. It went on every salad. Hmm. Well, at least where I live. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that might be an Ohio thing. I don't know. I do remember salad dressings becoming like suddenly super popular as if they had just invented salad dressing. Yeah. Yeah. As if it was a brand new thing. All of a sudden, everyone cared about what kind of ranch dressing it was or Italian. You had to have a Hidden Valley or whatever. I was just going to ask you, what's the name that comes to mind? Yeah, Hidden Hidden Valley. Valley. That's the big one. Yeah, Hidden Valley. I do remember Hidden Valley Ranch, those commercials where they're just pouring it over like broccoli. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only way to eat broccoli. Um, You know, I thought this was interesting. How about Jell-O Pudding Pops? Oh, the Jell-O Pudding Pops. Oh, my God, I love those. Right? Those are delicious. I didn't, I guess I would have guessed they came out earlier than the 80s, but it turns out they were, they were invented and developed in the 70s, and they started releasing them in certain markets at the very late 70s, but it wasn't until, um, I think it was 1981, 1981, I think, it was very early of the 80s that they started, it went national, and they started pushing it. They had mastered the technology of somehow uh, freezing a, a, a pudding around a stick. All I know is, is that yep. Bill Cosby sold those to me. Oh, yes. he he really did, man. Oh. I don't care what he did after that. I mean, oh, he's a, don't say that. He's a horrible human being okay, yeah. after that. But when yes. he sold me those Jello pudding pops, yes. 
and he was a funny dude back then. That's what. That's why we ate him. Mm-hmm. But that was a that was also a big part. of Marketing was huge with food in the eighties. Yeah. If your favorite cartoon or whatever was on something, man, you were buying it. The kids shows that I watch with my daughter still have some food things. I think, but the, yeah, they're always the fun foods. You know, not terribly great for you foods. Uh, but not like the 80s. No, every commercial was about some sugary something you could have. And <laughs> yeah. we wanted to have it. Butter. <laughs> they used to tell you it was bad for you. They were wrong. Oh. Butter's not bad for you. Right. So it was. it's okay to make that Kraft mac and cheese the way I like it. Mm-hmm. Did you remember Micro Magic Milkshakes? Mm, I don't think so. It was kind of like getting a, what do they call those? Like a, you know those like, those ice creams you would have as a kid in a little paper cup, but they came with the wooden spoon and you peeled off the Oh, paper. hell yeah. I remember those. So that was, it seems like that's what these were. But what you did is, it came in a, a larger sort of thing. You stuck them, that's basically what this was. You stuck it in the microwave. And then it became more liquidy. And guess what? That was a shake. <laughs> no shit. You just microwaved ice cream yes. and made a shake out of it? The whole premise was that you microwaved the ice cream. Yes. Now, this reminds me of Dairy Queen had the soft serve. So we would go to Dairy Queen on occasion, but I figured out that if I took ice cream and microwaved it for like 10 seconds, yep. I could make it into soft serve. <laughs> Was this a money-saving thing? I mean... No, it was, uh, we're not going to Dairy Queen today. Oh, 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 I got you. So you just get the tub of ice cream out of the freezer, fill a bowl up with it, hit it for like 10 or 15 seconds, stir it up a little bit, you got soft serve. That's awesome. It's so funny because even today, I feel like, even today, you know, under the quarantine, we've got ice cream in the freezer. And I said to my wife, I wish we could go somewhere and get ice cream. And she's like, well, we have it. I'm like, no. Like handles or whatever that other place is. <laughs> yeah. Could, oh, yeah, that's good ice cream. And they could literally serve me the stuff. I could have a tub of handles in the freezer, but it's not the same going into a place and getting it. Why is that? Well, that brings back the memory of summertime when you were a kid and you'd walk up there with your dollar or whatever you had in your pocket because you didn't yeah. have parents with you. They just let you go up to wherever mm-hmm. and you get ice cream and your friends would hang out and eat it. Oh, yeah. But that reminds me of, uh, you know, the ice cream truck coming when we were kids. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I grew up in, in, in Jersey City. They had, I don't know if they had this out here, the Good Humor Man. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah, we have Good Humor bars and, and that, that brand. But it was a truck, a guy that drove, drove around. And when I was a little kid, I remember this was the one of the best thing, my fondest memories is. And somehow I thought it was, I don't know, like real currency almost, where you'd get an ice cream and they would give you a little scratch off. Uh-huh. And the scratch off, you could win, I guess, free ice cream or something. So it, it, it was almost like, you know, play, like a gambler, like playing into that juice. Yeah, like I wanted to get yeah, the it's juice. That, it's that cardboard crack. Yeah, it was. It was like getting a scratch off. Yeah. So not only did I love getting that good humor, Eclair, uh, Bar, which had the solid piece of chocolate in it. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. You got a scratcher. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the blue ghost. Oh, the, uh, okay. The the blue Did piece to... of bubble gum for the, the nose okay. or the eyes or whatever it was. Something like that, yeah. That that was my go-to. Rock hard gumball. Yes. That, yeah. that, those guys had it going on back in the 80s. Yeah. Because you could actually afford those as a kid. Like, hey, I made a dollar this week on my allowance. Let yeah. me hit the ice cream man. Yeah. And he'd give you like a quarterback. Y- yes. Now we have that woman that comes in our neighborhood. Right. Because it's like, you know, for four ice cream bars, it's like, you know, over 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. I should just get an ice cream truck. That seems like a racket. Mm. I'm trying to think if I'd buy ice cream from you if I saw you in an ice cream truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Actually, actually, I'm going to buy a beer truck. Okay, there you go. And I'll just drive around, and once they hear the song, you'll see all the adults in the neighborhood chasing me. Yeah, and I, knowing you, I'd expect an ice cream truck would have like killer clowns in the back of it or something. Oh, I'd be dressed as one. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm definitely not buying anything from you. <laughs> All right, any other foods? Here's a here's an interesting tidbit for you that I learned today. Yep. 25-year-olds in the 80s compared to 25-year-olds today, yep. we were 10 pounds lighter. In the 80s? Yep. Look at that. With the same exercise and diet. Yeah. You know what they attribute that to? Oh, okay, well, you said exercise and diet is the same, so it has to be the food. It's the chemicals and drugs and the food and what people take to maintain their daily lives today. Wow, you know... Plus, yep. plus fast food was actually healthier in the 80s. Huh. Probably for the same reason? Yeah. An entree today at McDonald's yeah. has 90 more calories today than it did in the 80s. Wow. That a is dessert, shocking. Yeah. A dessert has even more than that. That is surprising, especially considering how so many of us are moving toward, and companies are moving towards trying to promote and, and support more healthy lifestyles. Yep, but there's a lot more of them salty things in today's food to, mm. you know, make you think you're getting a good deal. Plus, the portions are slightly larger now. Now, but for our metabolism, which changes as we get older here, I would think, hey, if I should just go back to eating what I did in the 80s, because that was healthier. Can't do that. Because uh, no. they don't exist anymore. No, it's gone. Yeah. Okay, so any more foods from the 1980s that we wanted to touch base on? Uh, no, I think we've exhausted uh, the food side of this. Okay, then please take a moment to rate and or review this podcast. And if you don't already, follow us on Facebook, where we're known as The Idiots, of course. And in a moment, we'll be right back with our guest, star of Just One of the Guys and author of How I Found Myself with Correct Living, Tony Hudson. guest today appeared in a number of our favorite TV shows from the 1980s, including The Greatest American Hero, Knight Rider, and The A-Team. And while that alone would have secured her place in the annals of 1980s pop culture, in 1985, she starred in the iconic and beloved gender bender, Just One of the Guys. And while she was busy performing during our favorite decade, she also began something more important and enduring, living a healthier, proactive lifestyle. You can learn more about her evolution from a life of meat and potatoes to one of wellness, vitality, and youthfulness in her new book, How I Found Myself with Correct Living. And you can watch her share even more on the New You Network at nuyunetwork.com and on your Roku device. Please welcome to the show, Tony Hudson. Hey, Tony, how are you? Hi. Hi, Will. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. So uh, in a little bit, we're going to be talking about what you've been up to lately in, in terms of your uh, correct living. But before that, I wanted to chat with you somewhat, certainly, about how he came to know you in the 1980s. Uh, and um, But before that, and you know, I keep saying before that over and over again. <laughs> So, you know, my least favorite thing is when you go to a, a presentation somewhere and they say, uh, 
you know, so in a minute, we'll tell you about this. Oh, yeah. And then it's like 10 minutes later. And then, okay, just a minute, we're going to get to, no, just do it now. I don't like to be teased like this. Oh, yeah. No, those three minute ads, right? Where they keep saying that, you know, I'm going to give you the three foods that you should never eat. Da, 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 da. And then you get to the end of the video or whatever commercial. Yeah. And then it's go to this website, and listen to this hour <laughs> video and purchase yes. A, B and C. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> so I realize I'm doing that. And that's terrible. Okay, so I'll get to the meat of it. Well, now, I'm, now I'm going to have a lot of food puns and things like that. Good. I like that. <laughs> so. Our show is a objective defense of 1980s pop culture. Our, our thought is that many of the great things in pop culture were birthed in the 1980s. You know, we took stuff from prior generations, made it a little bit better, and new things were created. And there's a number of reasons why we think that happened in the 80s, and you were a part of that. But unlike me, who I identify as an 80s kid, what generation do you identify with? Well, I was born 1960, I'm, I'm unafraid to say. Mm-hmm. And so late, late in the year, November 1960. So that means I'm always younger for my age group, I guess, of kids that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I was always on the younger end. Right. But the 80s for me, I was mostly mothering. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of my time, you know, watching Sesame Street and very kid oriented things. So I missed a lot of the music of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And some of the later movies in the later 80s, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I par- partook in many of them in the beginning of the 80s. <laughs> yes. But, but uh, later on, when I started having kids, it kind of took me out of the game. So I kind of wasn't hip to, to, to that whole 80s into the 90s moment. I kind of missed that because I was just so in babydom. But, yeah. Um, so you consider yourself a 70s kid then or child of that decade? I think so. I think so. I would. Yeah, that was my teenage years. And uh, yeah, the songs that I remember and the school dances and the first boyfriends and all of those things. Yep. So and for you, this is going to sound like a ridiculous question. And I only say this because in the 80s for me, and I've spoken to other folks about this, not necessarily of my generation, but that the 80s seems to be very, uh, you know, my memories of it are very, you know, uh, colorful. It's very, there's a lot of pop to it. It's visceral. It's evocative. It's do you feel that way about your about the, your memories and your recollections of the seventies? Maybe I'm maybe I'm just maybe it's just nostalgia for me, which I'm trying to prove it's not. But oh, totally. I mean, I I mean, I, my mother, you see, was in the sixties, fifties, sixties child, so she was still lingering on to the things that she liked. So I was very exposed to that. So I think I was more exposed to the younger generation, mm-hmm. not the eighties so much, because of my mother and right. her influences. She was a dancer, singer, actress, gal too. So. Uh, very art tap dancer. She was like a little Shirley Temple, basically. <laughs> and you got to be a certain age to even know who Shirley Temple is. <laughs> our, our folks should know who's listening. If you and sometimes I get hostile with the audience. If you don't know, turn this show off. No, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> You're here to learn. Well, we welcome everyone, and now you can learn about even other generations' pop culture. Um, yeah. So, okay, so maybe, you know, maybe it's certainly part of it for me is nostalgia. So in the, in the 1980s, you were in a number of different, uh, you appeared at, made appearances in a number of our different favorite uh, TV shows, TJ Hooker, Greatest American Hero, Knight Rider, A-Team. Yeah. And then in the middle of all that, or, um, you know, in the midst of that, 
you you land a role in an iconic film, uh, Just One of the Guys. I can't mention this to a, a friend who doesn't have fond memories and recollections and it didn't mean something and stick with them. Now, most oftentimes, maybe, uh, I'm trying to think, I know my wife is crazy about it, so maybe it's... I wonder if, it's, it wonder if not surprisingly, it's skewed a little more towards the, the females and women in my life um, for, for good reasons. But um, when you get that part, do you have a sense of the, the important sort of statement the film's trying to make? No, I mean, the only there's some obvious points that we all knew were going to, you know, make a statement in their own individual way. You know, yep. the reveal of Terry's breasts at the end, you know, out of her tux. Yep. Uh, the, you know, the, the journalism contest, you know, thinking that it's because she's a girl that she didn't do well. So let me, let me go to all this trouble to be a guy, you know, so that whole impact there on females thinking, you know, go ahead and own it, do what you got to do. Uh, I like that. You know, there's, there's some things that were obvious that would like, oh, that's a cute movie. But I know there's no way to know that it has it's just a little cult classic of the eighties. It has its own following. I mean, yeah, I, I do several different jobs in the industry throughout the years. And no matter what, there's somebody somewhere that'll come <laughs> and say, Hey, we have a bet. Aren't you the girl from just one of the, <laughs> you know? And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it inevitably will happen every now and then, but yeah, I had no idea. I don't think we, I don't think we really knew the impact that it had. Do you think it's a film that would fly today? This idea that a, a girl dresses as a boy or a woman dresses like a man is something that would fly today. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, and, and it would be even easier and better with all the prosthetics and the, the, the advancements <laughs> of technology. And then of just this computer changing her computer what? You know, like there's so many things you could do that make it easier. But yeah, I mean, the idea is to suspend belief sometimes, to take the real world and take it and stretch it so that we can look at our own lives and reflect on ourselves and how far would we go for something? You know, I mean, I think it just stresses a point, not that it's so realistic, Mm -hmm. but I think that's what going to the movies can sometimes be all about is just losing yourself in a make-believe situation, you know? Right. Do do you think that, um, have, have we evolved since this film? I mean, as a culture, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's many paths, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like the winding rivers on a map. It's there's many, many, many paths, you know. So there's a great number of us that, yes, have grown and gone, you know, and fertilized other areas and spread the, the seed of whatever it is their message is that's in a good, positive way. Yeah, I do believe that just as much as the craziness and the scary and the fear uh, that they, I say they, try to promote. Right. Well, that's encouraging. So I'm especially excited to talk to you about uh, uh, how I found myself with Correct Living. And right now it's available as an audio book, but we understand there's, it's soon to be followed up with an ebook and so much more. It's fascinating to me. And so folks know, ultimately, you have a, a way that you, a lifestyle that you've been living for some time now that has brought you so many positive changes in your life with regard to your health and, and other things and that you're sharing with us, you know, in this, in this audiobook and ultimately ebook and these other platforms as well. It's surprising to me, I suppose, to, to hear that you first started and learned about it in the 1980s, because in addition to the 1980s being this era where folks were getting, starting to pay attention to health, we also had at that same time, so many fad diets that were, 
these sort of, uh, you know, get healthier, lose weight quick sort of schemes that ultimately are not sustainable. So how is it that you were able to, I suppose, see through those and find one that ultimately, you know, jived with you? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting, good question. So basically I'll hit on a few points and then I'll tie them together. Well, one is that, um, I'm not a book smart or degree smart girl. I am a book smart girl now, but I didn't go to college. I never graduated high school. Um, I'm a streetwise common sense girl. This is mm-hmm. woman. This is how I've learned my life. You just, I just had to do it. Right. So with that as my barometer in life, and then watching my mother, as I was growing up, try every friggin' diet on the planet <laughs> with her girlfriends, you right. know, and then, and then when they get together to play bridge or to gossip and have their, you know, alcohol, it would be about their weight issues or how they, that didn't work. And I could only do it for two days and pineapple and cottage cheese gets so boring or <laughs> counting calories or whatever it is, weighing the food. I, I, it was, it seemed crazy to me. Right. That seemed crazy making growing up, watching my mother and her friends do that. So I obviously had my antenna up for maybe another way. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was dating uh, Dirk Benedict, the actor, TV actor guy from the A-Team and sure. Battlestar Galactica, he had cured himself of prostate cancer by changing his way of eating and told me that. And subsequently, how he did it with the way that he ate. And he handed me a little pamphlet, very skinny little pamphlet on macrobiotics written by Michio Kushi one of the forefathers who brought it to America. And so I read that pamphlet and it was ding, 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 common sense, common sense intellect to me. I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder like my menstrual cycle and my female stuff is so messed up. Mm. Oh my gosh, no wonder I have these emotional highs and lows. Oh my gosh, no wonder the pimples all over my face. Like (laughs) it's so easy for me to go, oh. So I just made the adjustments on his urging and, um, and then saw the changes, you know, and that, and I changed my way of eating five years before I got pregnant for the first time. So my body was pretty much a new body from my childhood before I got pregnant, which was really cool. So anyway, that, that's what my story is. It goes from finding out about food and taking that journey. And I tell that story through my acting career, through my marriages and divorces and mothering and singleness and all the things that we do that are successful and all the things that we do that are challenging. And through all that, I talk about food, what I ate, why I ate it, (laughs) how I learned it. And so that people can use my story as a seed planter for their own journey to better health, to teach them how to live a consciously proactive, preventative lifestyle instead of a reactionary one based on Eastern philosophies and balance of yin and yang. So yeah, no counting grams, no counting calories or grams of fat or BMIs or, I mean, you can look at those things and they're very interesting for knowledge, but I don't base what I eat on those numbers Mm -hmm. more in nature. God-given. And, and uh, your audiobook, I should, you know, just so our listeners know, it's, it's really a delight and pleasure to, to listen to. You're a great storyteller, a great writer, clearly. So it makes, I guess, understanding and absorbing this information um, delightful and easy to access. With regard to your starting the 
macrobiotic diet in the 80s. So my understanding is, just, you know, is that in the 60s, the, the macrobiotic diet's been around for decades. And in the 60s and 70s, they, it was seen as more controversial, um, I think because it focused more solely on brown rice. When you're starting to get into it in the 80s, is it, uh, my, and my understanding is in the late 70s, folks started realizing, well, heck, there's, a, there's some merit to this diet. Is the version that you started in on at that time, I guess, more more balanced or different than what uh, critics originally had an issue with, if that makes sense? Oh, I, I, li- I really like your question because I, w- I could see how you would think in that manner. But no, actually, there's, there's really no way to change or adjust, uh, sorry, adjust the principles of the macrobiotic diet because it is what it is. It, it's, it's by nature. In other words, in everything is yin and yang. Right. So when when we're born, we're born of the quality of the egg and the sperm that commingled in your mother's womb that then embedded and grew by what she ate, more fuel and nutrition, and then you're born. And with that, and of course, genetics and history, all of that combined creates the health of that baby. Now, from then, what do you feed the baby while it's outside the womb? That's going to continue uh, to nurture that child until the child's about five or six years old. That's really the, the whole development inside at pregnation and then all the way through to about five or six years old. That's how you make up the quality of that human being. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the idea of that just intrigued me like that. So makes sense. Like, duh, it's not stress only. It's not, you know, the government only. It's not anything outside of us. It has to do with our daily conscious choices and taking responsibility as an adult for our health, because it's really, it's really very simple to do once you understand the principles of, of yin and yang and balance and where you sit in that and what adjustments you need to make for you. Cause we're all different. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think the controversy, you know, at the time, again, but looking a long time ago now was that some folks maybe misunderstood what the diet was no, here's what here's what okay. here's what the controversy. I believe uh, the attention brought to the macrobiotic diet is usually when someone is at death's door with cancer, and then they change to the macrobiotic diet to try and save themselves. And then if they don't save themselves, then it's blamed on the macrobiotic diet. But they're going to the macrobiotic diet as this friggin' last resort right. when that's the longer transition to health back to health is through food. It's which it's the only way it really can be done. Food can't be medicine. Medicine can never be food. So knowing that, it takes a little longer than maybe a pill to get rid of a symptom, but you're still not attacking the cause right. with the pills. So it's it's about preventative lifestyle. And so my mother in her diets with her friends, it was always a reactionary. Eat what you want, drink what you want, Go along. Oh, there's bugles now. Those are fun. Screaming yellow donkers. That's good. Oh, wink. Like a discount on wink. I'm going to get some more of those. And eventually we're going to reap the rewards of our choices. Right. But then you reap the rewards and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm 20 pounds overweight. Can't wear my cute outfit for vacation. So now you want to go on this really quick diet and you try a diet and it's like, oh, I can't do that for that long. And then you go back to your normal way is ping pong back and forth. And then it, that's not good on your emotions, your relationships with your families. So it, it's a domino effect. What you're saying reminds me of in the book. And I, I really, this sort of uh, hit home for me was what you were describing, 
yin and yang, which thank you. Cause I, of course, you know, us, we've anglicized that as yang for so long now. Uh, yeah. Talking about yin and yang, this idea, this push and pull that if you have more, too much of one, you'll want the other. So that, you know, that yo-yoing that you're describing. Oh, it's innate. It's totally innate in us. I mean, we have a sweet tooth, breast milk, natural human food for the baby is breast milk. If we give it anything else, you're asking for challenges possibly because it's not it's in every animal has milk for its young and then when it's weaned that's it no more milk from another animal you don't see it you don't see the lion running over and drinking giraffe's milk you know (laughs) i mean it just doesn't happen and we somehow think drink cow's milk and then it's not even cow's milk anymore i don't know i'm getting off on milk but (laughs) yes but but i figure if you're going to eat or consume something just make sure it's the whole real unadulterated thing. Yes. I, I got to tell you, as I listened to your book, uh, I felt so terrible about myself in so many regards. Um, only in the sense that I, maybe that doesn't sound fantastic. That doesn't sound. No, that's but, not but, a, I, but I want you to second guess your choices. Yeah. If you're not where you want to be. Absolutely. That's saying in a much better way. You're right. You're right. It's certainly it's not a criticism of your book. It's a, I was criticizing myself. Yeah. Saying sure. Like this pull to sugar that, you know, talking about, or, or we're talking about yin and yang. If you, you know, like I don't eat much meat. You know, I may have chicken sometimes, but I'm, you know, I have other things. I don't have beef, but but I do know what you're talking about when you go and have a really salty meal, you know, or, or a lot of protein, or you have a steak, like you, the example you gave in the book that you're craving now having dessert, you know? And so that rang a lot of bells for me, which automatically got me, you know, questioning and, and, and checking in on myself, like how much of these things do I consume? We otherwise in my house, thank goodness to my wife, you know, eat a lot of grains and certainly not processed anything. Um, and, uh, look for more opportunities to, to be healthy uh, and have for years. Yeah, so. It, well, it's so, it's so great. I mean, that's all I wish seriously that my book does is help anybody take another nod, look, glance, step in a direction towards a positive thing for their lives. You know, that's it. Cause it's all about just, we design, we have the, we have um, my thinking faster than I can speak here. Well, um, <laughs> We have the, the, the ability to design our lives. And I use the word design because we really can design our, you want to be fit and the best health, Google browse and get online and you can find anything anywhere right now. So it's really to play ignorant in this world and reference to one's health, you know, says a lot about a person from, to me, to me, it's just out there too much. And even if you have to go through six or seven different things before you find the thing that works for you, you know, but at least to search for it, 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 there's really no excuses right now, but you know, they're pushing the other thing on TV. So it's really, I say TV, every Avenue that we see advertising, you know, (laughs) but, but it's, it's hard because it's coming at you. I mean, there was a campaign, Will, that one of the things that really got me, I think it was before I moved to Georgia. I've been in Georgia a year now. But uh, I was watching a commercial on TV, and it was one of the drugstores. Now, it was Walgreens, CVS, right? one of those, Rite Aid, one of those guys. And the campaign was brightly lit commercials with yellow tops and flowers and families picnicking and all of this and they would show them with a little tiny pill cup popping their head back (laughs) and and the campaign was bottoms up america 
So they're selling that it's such a normal part of one's life and you're healthy and vibrant when you pop these pills. And my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, how do they get away with pushing this stuff? And no one says anything. Like I want to, I want to do a Ted talk. I seriously want to do a Ted talk called bottoms up America because it is, it is just ridiculous when those commercials I mean, I want to do a stand-up comedy routine with those commercials that say, now don't take this if you suffer from RLS or <laughs> abdominals or dry mouth or headaches or vomiting. Or I mean, they just start go on and on. Yep. I can't imagine anybody out there going, yeah, I can handle all those as long as it gets rid of my restless leg syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the list of bad things, side effects is longer than the list of uh, positive effects. Yeah, you're trying to get rid of one friggin' thing. Take <laughs> this to get rid of that. But you could possibly have all of these 25, 30 things that goes on and on and on. And it's like, to me, it looks like a Saturday Night Live skit. Like, I can't yeah. believe it. So I've been so knock on wood, you know, pill free. If, if I had to take pills to keep me alive and I wanted to stay alive, I would. Yep. But if it's a life or death thing, you know, sure. But in reference to get through the day or to get rid of a headache, no, you know, no, no, it's, it's like lay down your, the, to me, headaches are a sign. You need to change things, yeah. whether it's slow down or it's more water or it's, you know, you need to eat something or whatever it is. For that individual person, you know, eventually you should know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ideally. It reminds me, though, of um, it was either Don Miguel Ruiz or no, I think it was in Road Less Traveled, the book by uh, Scott Peck about um, that people will go to great lengths to avoid pain, even and in doing so, they wind up creating an inevitable larger pain that they'll have to deal with. But if they can keep putting that off for as long as they can, they'll do that. Exactly. So to avoid to to eliminate maybe a possible excuse for folks not trying to live a more healthy life is uh, a barrier to entry for the the lifestyle you're suggesting. Cost is it more expensive to eat well in the way that you suggest in your book? No, absolutely. It is so much cheaper and so inexpensive. If because it, it it embodies as the mainstay of what you do is bulk items that you bag yourself, you know, dollar seventy nine a pound or something, and right. you can get all your whole grains and beans and. Uh, other grains, you know, all the, all the different things that I have in my jars with the clamp ring <laughs> right. lid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I cook my food. In other words, I'm not buying it in a cute box with a picture of it on the front. <laughs> what it's supposed to look like, yeah. <laughs> I'm bagging it in a bag and then putting it in a jar, and then I cook it and add the seasoning packet myself. My own seasonings, my own you know, ideas and inspiration because, and when it's not adulterated with anything, there's no sugar added and there's, you know, it's so, it, that, it is so cheap because you're buying produce and bulk grains and beans. And then there are a few refrigerated items that are fun to have that are like a protein substitute for those people that want to see something that looks normal. You know, I make a great, like, BLT, but like I call it a T-A-L-T. It's a tempeh avocado lettuce tomato sandwich. And, um, yes. you know, and I make great tacos. And so, but they're all with alternative meat sources. Right. 
whether it's uh, fermented soybeans or seitan or just real vegetables. And I do eat fish, so sometimes fish. But I use fish for when I go out. Okay, right. I'll I'll save when I'm going to have fish usually when I go out to eat at a restaurant. And that's okay, because I usually have a piece of fish, even a steakhouse. (laughs) Yes. So another possible critique now, hearing your response to my last question, is... I don't have time for that. It sounds like it takes a lot of time. No, well, that's why you tune into my show, Correct Living, on the New You Network, and I show you how easy it is. Very good. Because, because uh, I just got gifted an Instant Pot, and it's like a pressure cooker, you know? Right. And it's a small one. It became too small for their family, and then she got another one. And when I told her that I had ordered one and it never showed up, like someone stole it at Christmas time, it was my Christmas present to myself, but... It never showed up on my doorstep, so I never had it. But now I'm living by myself, and I'm used to cooking for a family right. and, and with boys. So there's like they eat. And so it's, <laughs> so, it's so hard to want to cook a better, more thorough meal for one person, you know, because of the time and effort. So it's just me, you know. So right. but this Instant Pot, oh, my gosh, it's so amazing. And then my rice cooker. So my, I, I do so many things that are life hack, like kitchen hacks that allow it to be done. Like my rice is always hot and ready and my rice cooker plugged in. It stays hot for 96 hours in this Zojirushi rice cooker. I mean, it's just genius. You put it on in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you got piping hot rice. And if you did any meal prep, you've got already some chopped vegetables or you buy the chopped ones at the grocery store. That's going to be a little more expensive than chopping yourself, but you can't. And, you know, and then you can go to the Trader Joe's and the Aldi's or the Alda, whatever it's called. I mean, you can go to all these different stores that are very inexpensive and get organic produce. So you can do it. It just takes knowing. But, hey, let me tell you something. You want that Haagen-Dazs, you know where to go get it, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) You want those organic vegetables, you should know where to go get those, too. (laughs) <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, and, and you know, I guess uh, maybe a little bit of a slight to the '80s, although I'd like to praise it as much as I can. It seems like it's easier, easier than ever, to be able to shop in, the, in one place and get both. Obviously, you want to avoid the Haagen Dazs, but there's alternatives that are so wonderful. A girlfriend of mine has a company called Modern Pop, hmm. and they're basically fruit, you know, popsicles, right. and they just have fruit in them. There's nothing else. <laughs> why not? Why? Just, why? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's frozen fruit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so delicious. Modern pops. And right. so, um, you know, you can you can find them, but people don't know the brand names. They don't know who's making what. So t- it seems daunting to walk into a health food store, a healthier food section and go, OK, who's Amy's? And what is West Bray Naturals? And like, we know best foods are Hellman's mayonnaise. You know, we know Heinz ketchup or right. Hunt's tomatoes. Like we know those tastes and flavors from our childhood. So my show helps bring out all the information by cooking classes or interviews or, you know, going on uh, adventures to the store and doing some shopping with somebody and filming it. So it's just, yeah, a lot of information. Very good. And we certainly want uh, middle-aged folks such as myself to survive as long as possible so they can enjoy 80s pop culture indefinitely. Well, well, yeah. I mean, look, we can survive really long now, but it's the quality of time during that survival. Do you Mm want to be on medication in a medicated fog taking six to seven pills a day because they say you should? Mm. And, you know, sometimes there are certain things, but I would say for the most part – 
people don't need to take as many pills as they're taking. So, you know, but they line up for them because they got us lined up for that's how we have to think. Yeah. We're in that fear. So I just want to pit people's health back into their own hands and know that they really can be in charge of it. And if we all just graciously, you know, create community gardens and, and be gentler. I mean, I think this time with the coronavirus is some way to really look at being preventative because if you're just living your life and going left and going right and not looking back, you know, you're going to reap that condition that you've sowed when a virus shows up. Right. How strong is your immune system? You know, have you been exercising? Is your heart really good? Is your blood not too thick and your arteries not closed off so much? Can't see inside there, you see. So that's what I didn't like. I didn't like that I couldn't see inside and know what the heck's going on. And I had a brother who died early at 18. Oh, sorry to hear that. But that's one of the factors that made me want to continue to not have these issues of wondering. And so now, you, obviously now you still can't see inside, but you feel confident based on your lifestyle that you don't have to worry about those things. Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I, I can kind of smile at myself in the mirror now, Will, and say, truth is in the pudding. I'm going to be 60 this year. It's not like I changed my way of eating five years ago. Now I'm a vegan. Hurrah. And I want to just tell everybody about it. You know, right. it, it, it's like I've lived it. I am living it. It's a constant, constant evolution of change and learning about oneself. Cause not only have I known my body in this food for a long time, but then I've just gone through menopause, mm -hmm. you know, which is a whole nother learning of your body right. as a woman's rite of passage so I've been going through that, which my body needs different kinds of foods. It's hanging on to more. I need to exercise and move more. So, it, yeah, my body's changed. So I still, it's always a learning process. You, I don't think one ever gets to an arrival spot about the journey with our bodies. But if you pay attention, yes. I mean, it's, yeah, your body will talk to you. Your body will tell you. And with that, Tony, I want to say thank you so very much for taking the time out to talk to us today. My hope is, in the very least, that uh, we're able to leverage the fact that you're in one of our favorite iconic 1980s films to get some of our folks to listen to ways in which they may be able to improve their own lives, to uh, extend them to not, like as you suggest, not only live longer, but live better. Oh, yes. No, no. Thank you so much for having me. So, Ray, earlier we talked about uh, the not-so-healthy and some uh, of the straight-up junk foods from the 1980s that we loved, uh, some of which you can't find today. And then we chatted with Tony Hudson about a healthier lifestyle that she discovered during the 1980s uh, while you and I were eating this garbage. But what, if anything, have we proven about our favorite decade? Uh, we have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were healthier in the 80s no matter what we ate. Yes, yes, of course, right. Um, and to balance things out, you know, the yin and yang that uh, Tony talks about, as I move more towards the food choices that Tony recommends in her book, I'm also going to go and see if I can't find a, a box of Dixie's crack, uh, snack crackers on <laughs> eBay. They're they're probably in a warehouse still from the 80s. And still fresh. <laughs> All right. Hey, we'll talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.